Hey readers and writers, welcome to episode 124 of Read and Write. Today we're going to do a reading by a former guest, Riley Toon. It's his book called Paragon, an icon story, and it's the first in a series. So let's get into this. Close your eyes for a moment and just imagine you have the power to save the world, but you also have the power to conquer it, and very few people could stand in your way. Which decision would you make? Hero or villain? To do the right thing and be boring, or to have fun while breaking a few laws here and there? A decision I'll be making soon enough, and then my life will change forever. I just don't know which I'd rather do. To be honest, I can relate to both sides. I just need to find that gray zone, that midway point between good and bad, you know? In Atlas City, this decision is always made by people like me. My indecisiveness aside, I'm willing to bet that Atlas City is one of the best places in the world to live. Sure, it has its fair share of crime, but that's mostly in the Ebony District. It's almost impossible for an area that's always so dark not to have an increase in crime. The rest of Atlas City, though, is full of all the stuff any person could want. Shops, good food, tons of jobs, people soaring through the skies, all of that. Anybody, and I mean anybody, could be happy here. Regardless of whether you're a person with powers, traditionally referred to as an icon, or if you're a void, I mean normal person. It's frowned upon to call a person a void these days. I'm not sure why, though. They're devoid of power, so why not call them voids? I mean, those poor, simple, mundane, ordinary bastards. Anyway, good old Atlas City has all you need. And what I needed now, believe it or not, was flowers. Nothing too fancy, but nothing cheap and disrespectful. I was in a little store downtown, one that sold almost everything from medicine to electronics, and as you may have guessed, they also had flowers. I looked over the rows and rows of flowers organized in front of me. I felt like I scanned each bouquet. I swear it's easier to pick out a new house than a decent flower arrangement. I held up one of the bouquets in front of me. Half of the flowers were smashed in. The other side of the bouquet looked almost dead. I shook my head as I tossed the flowers down, not worrying about where they landed or how they made the display look. How hard is it for a worker just to set out pretty flowers? Why don't you get these? A voice said to the left of me. It caused me to jump a little because I didn't see her come up. Then again, why would I? She was, yet again, invisible. I'm talking 100% unseen, light bending around her, you would never even know she was there, invisible. Stop doing that, I hissed at her as I put the flowers down and got myself back together. I cracked my neck slightly and she chuckled. She then let out a yawn and slowly shifted from invisible to her normal self. It was as if some unseen hand was gradually wiping away her invisibility, leaving her for the world to see. Standing in front of me was Jen, my adopted sister. Dressed the same as me, we both had on a dark blue sweatpants, white sneakers, and a gray t-shirt with a PA printed on the chest. We both even had black hair. Jen was shorter than me, though. While she was a little over five and a half feet, I stood a little over six. She also had on a baseball cap. Jen treated a baseball cap like most women treated handbags. Her outfit wasn't complete without one. She reached for some more flowers to show me. Now she was holding up some roses. I looked at them and shook my head. Those are roses. Why would it take roses to a site where so many icons died? She nodded and put the roses down. I guess you're right, she said as she looked over the flowers. 
She let out a little sigh and quickly changed her eyes from being locked on the flowers to looking at me. Not to get in your business, but next time you sneak your girlfriend in the house, try to be a little more discreet, Jen said to me casually. I looked at her as if I had no idea what she was talking about. A look complete with wide eyes and a faint, fake gasp. Don't act dumb. She paused as she touched her chin. Well, I suppose you weren't really acting. I snorted as I lifted up a pair of lilies. Seriously, if Dad found out you had a girl in the house, he'd freak. Not to mention what he'd do if he found out she was a villain. I swear to Atlas, Hunter, you simply do stuff just to see how it will turn out. I shrugged without even looking at her and continued to focus on my flowers. Some villains get a hard rap, and Danielle is fun. I know, Jen said as she walked away from the flowers. Remember I share a wall with you, she shouted over her shoulder. I made a mental note to try and keep my after-hours activities with Danielle a little quieter for Jen's sake. Atlas knows I'd hate to hear her and some boy in her room, or some girl for that matter. Now that I think about it, I've heard her with both in her room before. During the day, no less. She doesn't even have the decency to sneak them in at night. I don't know if I should be jealous, proud, or offended. Yeah, proud feels right. I gathered my lilies and went to the front to pay. They were white stargazer lilies which, according to the tag, and because I know nothing about flowers, were a symbol of sympathy. I placed them on the counter and the man at the register paid me no attention as he reached for them while still looking at his little TV on the counter. He was an older man. He had dark skin, gray hair, thick glasses, and more hair on his arms than I had on my head. They're still talking about this theory that somebody out there is killing off icons. You can never trust the news, though, he said as he glared at the TV. Fifteen. He stopped speaking as he looked up at me. Oh, hey, he said. I raised a brow. Uh, hey. He simply looked at me and smiled. It was a creepy smile. Like one of those, hey, kid, I have some candy, so get in my van smiles. How much was it again? I asked him as I reached for my wallet. Side note. Wallets are a bitch to have in sweatpant pockets. They just never seem to fit right. He raised his hand up and then pushed the flowers towards me. No charge, he said. Sure, I thought to myself. No charge until I got to the door and he shouts, Stop, thief. You go to that school, don't you? Purgatory Academy, the man asked me. I'm guessing the large PA on my shirt gave it away. Yeah. I said as I fumbled for my wallet as I tried to get it to fit back into my pants. Wow, an icon in my store. The way he said the last few words made him sound like one of those over-the-top valley girls you see on the TV. Not often I get a hero in here. Your teachers at school worried about these vanishing icons? And the ones they found dead? To my knowledge, they hadn't even mentioned it at school. So I shrugged at him as a voice came out of nowhere. Icons! Icons in your store! Not just one! The man looked around as he slowly stiffened. I exhaled and looked to my side. Sure enough, Jen was fading into visibility as she drank an orange soda. The man at the counter smiled ear to ear, as if the Diamonds District didn't have dozens of heroes of all sorts sipping around. He kept looking at Jen with that creepy smile again. Jen didn't help the situation because she could go from visible to invisible and back again in an instant. This became an apparent thing only done for a show. The man looked at me and I looked at him. According to his name tag, which I was just seeing for the first time, his name was Rufus. Rufus kind of nodded his head to me with a smirk on his face and his brow raised. I knew what he wanted. 
I just didn't feel like it displayed my powers like some animal in a circus. Thanks for the flowers, Rufus, I said as I held them up in the air and walked away from the counter. Anything for a future hero of this city, Rufus called back. Bold statement. He knew nothing about Jen or me. We could have been rotten to the core for all he knew. This was Atlas City, though. People always tended to believe the best, even if they secretly prepared for the worst. We left the store and found ourselves walking together down the street. Flower shopping took longer than I had expected. Luckily, classes at Purgatory didn't start until 11, and since Jen and I were both 17 and in our final year, we could afford to be late. So we had plenty of time. I don't see how voids, normal people, I mean normal people, our age got up so early to go to school. Some have to be there as early as 8. Not only that, but they have to take the bus. And the thought of a public bus alone made me shiver. Years and years of teen germs in one location. I felt the shiver again. Thankfully, I could get around on my own, but if I couldn't, I'd walk before I ever got onto a crowded, germ-infested, dirty bus. We walked in silence. I kept looking at my flowers in hand and mentally compared them to the ones I'd purchased the year before. Jen was casually drinking her soda and expertly texting on her phone with her free hand. You know what, I said to her. She didn't reply. She just looked at me as she took a long slip of her soda. Then she burped. What? She finally replied. I think I'll get Danielle something nice while we're out. Jen frowned some. Like a gift? For what? I smiled at her. For her stellar performance last night, I said as I nudged her with my body. Gross, she said as she grimaced. I laughed. No, seriously, she's been hinting at wanting a new watch. And Ingram's is right there, I said as I pointed to the store across the street. Jen's eyes all but popped out of her head as her mouth fell open. Ingram's? Are you crazy? You realize a store only uses diamonds created by Jem, right? I nodded. Jem was a female icon with powers that revolved around diamonds. Like many icons, Jem had two powers. Her prime power is that she could turn herself into a living diamond, making her highly resistant to damage for a short while. This power seems impressive, but she could only hold the form for as long as she could hold her breath. Her second power was that she could touch anything and turn it into a diamond. Diamonds were already rare, but diamonds made by Icon were even more exclusive. Considering only about four Icons in the world had this power, the diamonds created by Jem came with a huge price tag. Mr. Ingram just so happened to be Jem's best friend from the old days, so he had a connection. Let me guess, you're going to get her the watch from there. She's a villain, can't she just steal a watch or something? Yeah, but this way it means more, I said as I nudged her with my elbow and gave her a comically overdone eye wink. Plus, all Jen knew was that Danielle was a villain. She didn't know that she hadn't actually done any villainous deeds yet. She was working on it, but these things take time. You coming? I asked as I began to walk to the store. Jen shook her head, sat down on a bench, and continued to use her phone. I gave her the flowers to hold. I'd rather not say you spend a fortune. That way I can play dumb when Dad sees your bank statement. I hadn't thought about that. It was my money, though. My parents, well, my dad mostly, left me a large inheritance. By large, I mean I could retire right now, live out my life, and my kids would be well off if I left them a rest. I was basically rich. The downside was that my dad was a villain, so how he acquired this money was never discussed in detail. It didn't matter in my book. If heroes couldn't stop him, then as far as I figured, fair is fair and that money is mine. I opened the store's door and a freakishly loud chime went off. 
The guests and Ingrams didn't even look away from what they were doing to see who had just entered. Hell, the workers didn't even look up at me. Hello, a small woman said with a smile. She walked from behind the counter and shook my hand. She was pretty. She had long black hair, red lipstick, and appeared to have Asian features. Her dress was a bland-looking gray color, and her tag said her name was, oddly enough, Asia. First time here? she asked me. Is it that obvious? I replied. Clearly, my looking around like a lost child didn't help. It was hard not to be in awe of this place, though. Everything was so shiny. I don't mean just the diamonds, either. The floors were some sort of polished stone and reflected the light that came from various chandeliers hanging from above. The same light seemed to bounce off every piece of jewelry in the store. It's okay, what are you looking for? Asia asked me. Well, Asia, I need to get my girlfriend to watch. I said as I clapped my hands together and rubbed them with a smile. Nothing too fancy or expensive, though. At these words, her smile faded. The most affordable watch we have in our inventory is about $2,000. It's mostly silver and has a few diamonds made by Jem herself in the face. I coughed loudly at the price. Apparently I was too loud because the two armed guards patrolling the store both looked at me. Both were larger than life to me and looked like they could easily take out a normal person, no gun required. I tried to act cool as I shook my head. Sure, can I see that one please, I asked Asia. Her smile returned, and she waved me over to the counter. I stood in front of it, and she walked behind it, grabbed some keys, entered a pin number on a keypad, and then unlocked the glass case. Asia held the watch up. As she had said, it was mostly silver, but in the face, those diamonds reflected like stars in the night sky. Was it a nice watch? Without question. Did it look like it was worth $2,000? Not even close. Asia cleared her throat as I molded over my mind. Sir, she said. Oh, sorry, just thinking. I'll take it. She smiled and did a little dip, thinking about her commission from the sale, no doubt. Very good choice, sir. Well, she wanted to watch, so here I am, I said again as I fumbled my pants to get my wallet. Asia had begun moving to ring up my watch, then she stopped. This is a gift, she asked me. I shook my head. Yep. Would you like a special box for it? I'll wrap it also. Sure, why not, I said as I finally got my wallet open and searched for my bank card. Perfect, that's going to be an extra charge of $50. Whoa, I said as I raised my hands up. For a box and a bow? Never mind, just leave it in the box it came in. Asia shrugged and then moved to put the special box she had grabbed back under the counter. Wait, wait, I said as I bit my lip. I've already spent that much on a watch, might as well get the damn box too. Wise move, sir, Asia said as she grabbed the box again. I mean, it was a pretty box. It was a dark blue with silver sparkles that seemed to be made into the actual box. On the top, it had Ingram's written in a fancy gold font, and on the inside was a shimmery white fabric. She gently placed the watch inside, making it a point to have the price tag exposed. I like this. What was the point of spending so much money if Danielle didn't even know how much it was? As Jen had pointed out, villains steal things. But Danielle hadn't got that far in her career yet, so me spending this much was sure to earn me some special treatment. Asia began to press some buttons on the register as I tapped my card on the countertop. I glanced at my phone as I heard the loud chime go off in the door behind me again. Still had plenty of time to make my next stop and then get to class. Then a sound echoed through the store that sent everybody into a panic. Several rapid gunshots had pierced the silence inside of Ingram's. Asia screamed as she dropped down behind the counter. 
I turned around quickly and saw the two guards were down. One was grabbing at his leg as blood pooled on the floor. The other guard was crumpled on the floor motionless. Neither guard seemed to have time to reach for their weapons. Three gunmen were inside Ingram's. Apparently, they were the reason the door chime had gone off. They were all dressed in a dark green jumpsuit. All had on brown ski masks and black boots. To add to their uniform unity, each gunman had an assault rifle in their hands. 90 seconds, one gunman shouted as the other two began smashing cases and grabbing as much jewelry as they could. Everybody, right here and get on your knees, the gunman counting down the time said. Nobody moved, and then he released more shots into the air. The customers and workers behind the counters quickly moved to the area he had pointed the gun to. The people in the store cried, and there were about 13 of us in total in that little area now. I made it a point to stand in front of them as I dropped down to my knees and kept my hands up. I could have stepped in, but I'd rather let the cops sort this out. I figured it would be over soon, and I had some place to be. Glass continued to shatter and fall as the gunman ravaged the store. 40 seconds, he screamed again. Of all the days they had to do this today. I glanced outside through the door. There was a van parked out front with a man sitting inside it. He was looking around in all directions, and he too had a mask on. Despite the gunshots going off, people outside weren't panicking. Sure, they were on the other side of the street and watching, but they weren't running. No, they were waiting for an icon to arrive, waiting for the chance to see a caped hero in action, or for a flamboyant and colorful costume to arrive. This sort of thing was too low level for the big names, though. By the time somebody came, these guys would be long gone. A woman beside me stood up and tried to speak to one of the gunmen. Before she could finish, a shot ran out and she fell to the floor. Everybody else screamed as her body hit the ground. I took a deep breath. These three were either very efficient or so nervous that they had become trigger-happy. Either way, I couldn't just watch them kill people. I hated that I had to help, but it seemed like it would be quicker than waiting for the cops. Guess it was up to me. I dropped my hands and slowly stood up. On the damn ground, kid, the gunman said as he pointed his gun at me. You want to end up like her? He said as he jerked his head toward the lifeless woman who was inches from my feet. Come on, man, you don't want to do this. Why would you even do this here, in the Diamond District? Isn't this more of an Ebony District thing? His finger applied slight pressure to the trigger of the gun he held. Then he stopped. I could see his face frown behind the mask. He wasn't looking at me, though. He was looking at my shirt. That's right, connect the dots, I said as I twirled my finger, gesturing for him to hurry up. You're one of the freaks? I wouldn't call myself a freak, I said to him casually. In all honesty, I've been called worst. I know the laws, though, kid. You can't use your powers until you take the oath. Now sit back down and shut up. We don't want to hurt anybody else, but we will if we need to. He checked his watch again. Time, Jerry. Another of the robbers shouted as he stuffed his bag. No names, you idiot. We gotta go. This kid screwed up my count. Poor Jerry, I said to him. Every icon doesn't follow the laws, I said with a grin. The gunman, I mean Jerry, looked at me. As he did so, I felt a faint tingle all over my body as I created a large, pale, blue force field that surrounded myself and the hostages. I took a deep breath and tried not to panic. Then I looked at Jerry and watched as the room began to turn blue. Jerry backed up some as he saw my eyes glow and out of instinct fired at the force field. The bullets bounced off in a comical fashion, smashing the walls and glass inside Ingram's store. I released the energy from my eyes in a rocket light bolt and hit Jerry square in the chest. 
As he went flying back, the room returned to its normal colors. With the energy gone from my eyes, my vision was no longer blue. To the people behind me, who were cheering now from the safety of my force field, it likely looked very heroic. In reality, I was actually aiming for Jerry's gun, not his chest. Despite what the comics or movies show, it isn't easy aiming beans of concussive force from your eyes. If the beans came from your hands, the more traditional route, then aiming wasn't difficult. Eyes, though, were a different story. Jerry slumped to the floor. No doubt his chest would be sore and severely bruised when he came to. There was an official name for what I had just done, but I called it my impact blast. The blue beams I shot from my eyes were force-based. So if I wanted to, with these eye beams, I could punch a hole in a wall of steel with ease, but I couldn't melt or burn things. That's laser or heat vision. Bart, this kid shot Jerry with his eyes! This gunman, freaking out as he was, seemed to be a fan of name-dropping. Hi, Bart, I said innocently with Wave. I wondered how stupid this guy was. I pointed as I said each name. Bart, Jerry, and what's your name again? I said as I pointed to the name dropper. Dom, he replied quickly. What an idiot he was. Bart, who was brandishing a normal handgun, smoothly shot Dom in the stomach. A single bullet casing fell to the ground and bounced around some. It sounded oddly loud because the room was quiet when the shot happened. The people behind me gasped as Dom fell to the ground. He talked too much. I knew he'd be a problem before we even did this job, Bart said as he grabbed and ran Dom's bag of loot. No honor among thieves, I suppose. The door to the store chimed again. I glanced at the door like everybody else, but we didn't see anybody. I smiled. The remaining two gunmen moved for the door, and then suddenly their guns seemed to become intangible in their hands, falling to the ground and through the floor. They looked at each other, then back at me. I raised my hands again. Don't look at me. I didn't do it. And in all honesty, I hadn't. Jen did. I couldn't see her, but she had to be in here somewhere. It was she that had come in the doors unseen a moment ago. Jen wielded two powers, and turning things intangible was her go-to joke around scaring people while invisible. As long as she could touch it, and it wasn't too large, she could turn it intangible. The gunmen, still holding their bags, ran for the van. The door chime went off once more as they made their escape. Tires screeching, they took off down the street, followed closely by cop cars in a purple blur, which I could only assume was an icon with super speed. I took down the force field from around myself and the other hostages. Jen turned visible as she extended her hand and gave me my flowers back. I can't leave you alone for a second, can I? I shrugged. Wrong place, wrong time. Jen leaved in closer to me. You okay? I saw the force field. She said in a whisper. I shook my head. Jen was one of the few people who knew my secret. While my force field was a rare power that made me almost invincible, I was terrified to use it on myself. I didn't like tight spaces and being trapped inside an indestructible bubble was almost worse than having a gun pointed at me. After being thanked by the hostages and workers of Ingrams, Asia returned to business and she gave me the total for the watch. You still want me to pay for this? I just saved your lives, I said in a low voice to her. Jen cleared her throat. We just saved your lives. Asia smiled at me. And we are very thankful, but... I cut her off as I picked up the box off the counter and held it close. This is mine. We will consider it payment, I said as I looked at Asia. Cool? As I asked the question, Asia and everything around her turned a shade of blue. She looked at my eyes and then gasped some. She had seen what my eyes could do when in this state. She had genuine fear in her face and she backed up. Some hero you are, Asia said to me. 
Jen turned and walked out of the store. I never said I was a hero, I replied as I gave her a little salute, smiled, and then followed Jen out of the store, watch and flowers in hand. That was the prologue of Paragon, an icon story by author Riley Toon, which you can find available now on Amazon. Join me next time when I'm going to talk to Tara Lush about cozy mysteries. Until then, keep reading, keep writing, and go do what you do best. You got this. Read and Write Podcast is edited and produced by Deborah Zebarth. Theme music was written and performed by Jay Hunger. Audio effects were created by Red Octopus and Black River Phonogram. Show notes and previous episodes can be found at readandwritepodcast.com. Special thanks to Riley Toon and all the subscribers who make this podcast possible. And that's it. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to rate, read, and write on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you have a suggestion for a future episode, drop me a line. I'm always open to suggestions. Also, did you know that Read and Write publishes three episodes a week? Check out the podcast's YouTube channel for Write With Me Mondays live streams and 30-second book reviews on Fridays.